Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close here with Jeff Mosher and a special guest coming up, Pat McCarthy, broadcaster for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. And Jeff, when we did this last time, it felt a little bit more dire. Phillies came home. Things are looking a lot better. Do you remember what I said last time we did a podcast, Frank? What did you say? Remind the listeners. <laughs> I said, I know how bad it looks. You just got swept by the Giants. Things are looking bleak. The, the, you're starting to see a little pinching in the wild card standings. But the Phillies, unlike past years, have done the job they're supposed to do against the bad teams this year. And I said there was no doubt in my mind. I always said, relax. I did the Aaron Rodgers R-E-L-A-X thing, right? Nine games upcoming against the Marlins, Nationals, Marlins. I said if they even just win five. Five and four, I think, based on the uh, schedules that we talked about with the Brewers and the Padres, that I thought the Phillies would be good in good shape. What do they do? Two out of three from the Fish, three out of three from the Nats, and, of course, a big win again, again against Sandy Alcantara. And um, they've already reached six in, with a couple games here left. So I, I, this team, I've never panicked about it, uh, at least since the firing of Joe Girardi and, and since Tomper has been in place. I They – they get the job done. Now they're still a little stretchier and it gets a little tougher, but I, I'm still relaxed and I, I'm very confident they will be in the playoffs. So when you look at the standings in terms of the wild card, the Phillies are kind of right where they were before that little rough West Coast trip against the, the Diamondbacks and the Giants. Right. So, right. you know, looking at, at how the San Diego Padres are doing, looking at how the Brewers are doing, they've been basically a 500 ball club continuously for some time now both of them yes so the incrementally the phillies keep gaining when they go through these six to nine game stretches where they're they go whether it's five and four or six and three now you talk about what's coming up so now the schedule which was so easy for so long it's starting to be a little bit more challenging the phillies go braves blue jays braves right for their next nine games after this marlin series does that make you nervous at all, or do you think you think that the Phillies will be in, let's say, like in competition? Uh, will they keep up with the Braves like they did earlier, or do you think do you think that this is a bigger challenge now? No, and um, I'm, I'm just going to isolate it to this upcoming after the Marlins stretch. You're talking about Braves, yes. Blue Braves, Jays, Braves, Blue Jays, Braves. Right. So that's eight games, nine games. Four I'm games, sorry, nine, nine, nine four, games. Four right. game series against the Braves. Right. If they go. Three and six, I still think they're okay, especially knowing that the Cubs and Nationals will be on deck after that. I'm not saying I'll be happy with three and six, and I'm not going to make any long or short-term conclusions about it other than to say they'll still be in my – unless unless the Brewers and Padres defy logic and just reel off sweeps of who they're playing. I think that we talked about – Brewers, Brewers are with the Cardinals the right now. The, Mets, the, right? The, the Padres are playing the Mariners right now. So right. they both have some some tough opponents. They both did win last night, but they have some tough opponents. Right. And don't the Brewers still have that six games against the Mets and Yankees coming up right after they the, do. the Yeah. So uh, again, the the ability to take care of business against the really bad teams and then once they come out of that nine game stretch, we're talking Cubs, we're talking Nationals and then you know, we'll see what the Astros have by the last three games. They may not even care. At that point. So, and, and it may not even matter much to the Phillies at that point. I just think that I'm giving you a worst case scenario. I can't imagine them doing any worse than three and six, uh, in those games against the Blue Jays and the Braves. I think the pitching's been, they're getting healthier. We'll see Wheeler come back. I, 
I'm so even three and six is bad, but I'm saying I don't even think that would that would sink them. So I'm not really worried about it. And I think they'll be better than three and six in those nine games. So let's talk for a minute about a couple of things that have happened in this week, which certainly seem to give the team a boost. So Sir Anthony Dominguez returns and looks yeah. like his old self. Yes. <laughs> Huge. Can you underscore just how big that is for the Phillies who were, were pushing David Robertson to two innings and, and really overusing David Robertson, who is in baseball age, an old man, younger than us, mm-hmm. but, but he's an old man in baseball years, right? But yeah, even he has looked way sharper since Sir Anthony Dominguez is back. That was the, the point I was going to make was that it, it was almost like a two for one deal with Sir Anthony coming back because Sir Anthony came back and looked like Sir Anthony. And obviously it took the pressure off David Robertson to have to put the extra innings in, as you mentioned, and um, he can go back to working his role. We talked about how important roles are and and, and not have to, as you say, load up the innings at his age. Uh, some, a couple of other guys in the bullpen, I think, are starting to pitch a little bit better as well. So I just think things happen at the right time. And with Wheeler set to come back, then you really sort, sort of start to feel better about the entire, but you know, I know Wheeler's probably not going to be throwing a hundred pitches whenever he gets back, but I mean, they're going to work him back, but um, it just feels like everything comes, comes together at the right time. And, you know, we'll see what happens during that stretch against the good teams. And so speaking of Zach Wheeler, his bullpen session, according to Todd Zalecki yesterday went well, supposed mm-hmm. to throw another bullpen or live batting practice on Friday in Atlanta. And he might actually start against Toronto next Tuesday, Jeff. So yep. uh, now the, the next guy that I want to talk about probably plays into this because they brought up Zach Eflin um, off his rehab assignment. And they say basically that he's not able to pitch like a starter because he's not stretched out enough. But mm-hmm. maybe that's your solution as Zach Wheeler comes back. Maybe you throw Zach Eflin for a couple innings, Zach Wheeler for a few, and that's your start. That's a great idea. That's that's that. Feels like the minor league piggyback that you see a lot of times at double A AA and triple A, but I think it's actually uh, a smart game plan for to 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 get yourself an opportunity for a chance to win. It doesn't feel like a throwaway bullpen game, and also gives your two guys opportunities to get their arms back and their conditioning back and whatever they need. I, it's 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 sort of a double bonus in that regard. Not to mention you could piggyback one of the others as well because that gives mm-hmm. you an extra starter. Even though it's two spots combined, I don't know that they can, they can afford to piggyback too many because they, well, they do have the extra arm in September, right? So maybe Mm -hmm. they have a shot of doing it, but, but Ranger Suarez seems, uh, seemed to be getting a little bit of that stamina back. He looked burned out in the fourth inning a few starts in a row. Uh, Last time he made it into the seventh, I thought they stretched him a little bit too much. uh, His last start going into the seventh ends up giving up four runs, I believe it was. Uh, but he's someone who has thrown this many innings, so be nice to give him some rest. And also Noah Syndergaard, right? After 2020 season and Tommy John surgery, he's not somebody who's pitched a lot of innings in, in several years as well. So would you yeah, consider the, the, a the one about, with them? The one about Suarez really sticks out to me, Frank, because he's got to be way above what his um, past innings uh, maximum was, right? I mean, he's, it's, it's got to be pretty significant, I would think. Yeah, I'll pull that up right now. But, of course, Suarez last year began as a reliever. He didn't join the rotation until July, so right. uh, he had not thrown that many innings. So last year was his previous high at 106. Mm-hmm. Right now he's up to 134. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's pretty significant and he would to make, me. he would make four more starts if all things go well. So he's looking at being around 150-ish mm-hmm. or higher uh, when this is all said and done. So 
Um, and then, then the playoffs come. So uh, right. I might, I might want to take a look at, at his innings, uh, going down these next couple of weeks, especially if you have some extra help. Yep. Definitely. And I, you know, I'll tell you another thing going forward with the pitching as we talk about it. I know Aaron Nola had, um, one of those starts was pretty shaky there and then he bounced back and, and had one of his, the best starts of his career. I, I just sense a different Aaron Nola. I, I think he's a, listen, I, I think we, we sort of micro or zero in on pitchers and whenever they have a bad start, it seems like it's Armageddon, like they're not entitled to it. Uh, Aaron Nola has had a great year. Uh, he's going to have a bad start every once in a while. Uh, you know, Jacob deGrom has bad starts. Max Scherzer has, I mean, the, the Sandy Alcantara can't figure out a way to beat the Phillies. So Alcantara, I should say. So, but I, I, I sort of get just the vibe of watching Aaron Nola pitch is that he's not going to go into some prolonged three bad starts in a row. I, I just, we haven't seen it this year. I know it's been part of his past, but I think you're just looking at a guy with a different mindset right now. Very, very fair to say. Unfortunately, the, <laughs> the Phillies ended up doing okay, but it's a shame that Sunday he threw those two innings and then had to leave for that yes. rain delay. Yeah. That, that really rain. long right. rain delay that, that was what the longest in history for a game that had started. Yeah. It was like three hours or something like that. It was More crazy. Than that. It was like three More, and a half yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the, they, I'm surprised too. Yeah. One thing I did like Joe Girardi did last year was, uh, he, Knew the rain was coming, and I think he threw Nick Nelson. No, it wasn't Nick Nelson. It was because it was last year. But whoever was the long man, uh, they mm-hmm. threw somebody out there to, to pitch the first couple innings. The rain came, and then the starter was ready later. I remember so. that. I, I, I can't remember it was, who um, it was. I but... think it was the lefty. It was um. Oh, why can't I think of his name? Sanchez. Wasn't it Christopher Sanchez? Sanchez do that. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering why uh, they didn't think to do that this time around. Uh, so right. they could have gotten a little bit more Aranola. So the game was a little dicey, but that was one that the, the Phillies pulled out. So that I, I did like to see that. I did like to see that the Phillies fought back uh, a little bit there uh, against the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we are lucky to have with us someone who sat through that three-hour, how many minute, 35-minute rain delay on Sunday. That would be Pat McCarthy, who called the game for the Phillies on the Phillies Radio Network. Welcome, Pat. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was a it was a fun one, that's for sure. So what were you What were you doing for three and a half hours? I know you popped on some of the uh, the rain delay theater on the radio with Greg Murphy, but <laughs> what do you do for all that time? Yeah, uh, try and stay busy. Try not to eat too much. And we, and we were fortunate at that time that the Eagles were playing at the same time, so they had the Eagles on the video board, so we were able to watch the Eagles a little bit and. Uh, and then they flipped over to the Brewers game. So we, we kept ourselves busy for the most part. And then I, you know, tried to hop on as much as I could to help out with Murph. I mean, fortunately we had, we had about almost an hour and 45 minutes worth of programming that we were able to play where we could kind of take a step back. Uh, but other than that, we were kind of doing the same thing everybody was watching the Eagles, checking our fantasy football lineups and, uh, checking the radar to see when that was going to, uh, when that was going to finally end. I did pop on the radio a couple times just to see if you were actually taking calls with the Eagles on, and it looked like you decided not to take any calls, because I'm sure <laughs> Phillies fans, as passionate as they are, if there's an Eagles game on, they probably would just watch that. Yeah, yeah, we had the phone lines open. We probably had, I would say, four callers in total. Uh, you know, we had two pretty early on. We had a, you know, one fan from Alabama call us, one fan that was leaving the ballpark call us, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was cool. I think, I think in a normal day, if the Eagles weren't playing, I probably, we probably would have taken a few more phone calls and had people, you know, talk about the game. But 
yeah, I mean, for the most part, we were just kind of doing the same thing everybody else was passing, you know, passing the time and, and hoping that the rain was going to stop. And fortunately it stopped right around when we thought it was going to, and we were able to resume and, you know, get that ball game in. So tell us about your, your call up to the big leagues, right? So, <laughs> you know, the Phillies last week, of course, they bring up Dalton Guthrie, Guthrie from AAA. And up comes Pat McCarthy from AAA. So how, how long in advance did you know this was in the works? Obviously, you're aware of the gentleman who needed to be away this weekend that led to your uh, <laughs> fill-in. But uh, but tell us about how this all came to be. Yeah. So uh, yeah, obviously, you know, I know what you know what days my dad's working and stuff like that. And a lot of that too is because when he's working, I'm normally working with him. So. You know, between my brother and I, one of us is always spotting or doing stats or whatever with him in the CBS booth. So, you know, early on in the summer, we kind of map things out and find out who can go what weekend. Uh, I knew that the Iron Pigs were home this weekend, so I wasn't going to be able to go. My brother is a college baseball coach, so it was right before his fall season was starting. So, you know, we had discussed things of, you know, who was going where week one, who was going to go where week two. Uh, and then, you know, as it, as it got closer, you know, we we started to think that okay you know maybe there's there's a chance that you know Scott's gonna go over to TV and then and then I could have a chance to slide over to to do radio so uh, it was the Sunday before that uh, I I got word that I was gonna be that I was gonna be filling in for the weekend and uh, so I you know I went up to Lehigh Valley called a couple of games up there we had actually played on Labor Day so we played on Labor Day I had the off day on Tuesday and then was back up there. Uh, Wednesday for a doubleheader, then again on Thursday, and then you know went to went to Philadelphia starting for the weekend, and and it, it was it was a great experience, and I'm looking forward to it again this weekend down in Atlanta. So so I have to ask, and maybe it's been done before, I don't know, but is there is there a? And promise we'll ask you Philly's questions too, but this is fascinating <laughs> stuff. Um, is there a kind of McCarthy family aspiration to have father and son in the booth at the same time? Has that been discussed? Yeah, I mean, nothing discussed in terms of, uh, with the Phils. I mean, we've done it before. We've, we've done it with Princeton basketball before. Right. And, and that was, that was really special when we did it then. That was, I want to, I want to say it was 2018 or 19. It was, one, it was either my second or third season, mm-hmm. uh, calling Princeton hoops. And that was a really, really cool experience. Um, you know, getting to share the mic with him and, and at a place where he really got his start in terms of calling high level, uh, sports. His first season calling Princeton basketball was the year that they upset UCLA at the Carrier Dome and right. what is, you know, considered one of the greatest upsets in, in college basketball history. So, you know, that, that was a really cool experience. So, you know, we've had a chance to do that. Um, you know, maybe this Friday we'll have a chance to do it on the round table and, and <laughs> see how that goes. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's something that we've, We've been fortunate enough to have already, and it was a really special moment when we did. And I tell people all the time, no matter when we get a chance to do it, it's always going to be special because it's always going to mean so much to me and mean so much to him. But I don't think anything can ever replicate what we had that first time that we did it. It was, it was raw. It was emotional. It, it mm-hmm. was a, it, it was a really, really cool experience. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so Pat, we've been talking about, um, you know, how this Phillies team has been this year. And, um, we were making the point that it's, it's not really etched in Phillies lore, as you really know well, to have so much contributions from guys coming up from the minors. In fact, like if there's been a criticism of the, the organization in the past, it's that they didn't do this. And when you see guys come up, um, you know, again, Nick Maton last night, um, and there have been a handful of guys yeah. who've come up 
Derek Hall and made contributions that are really significant, you know, and really important. Um, you've seen some of these guys play at the lower levels, but this has to be pretty cool to even see through your eyes, but even just in general for the organization. This is, this is something different. I credit the organization for, and you could say, well, they, they had to bring up some of these guys, no other choice, but nonetheless, in the past, it almost feels like they wouldn't. So it was, it's been good to see that for this team, I think. Yeah. And, you know, like you, like you said, Jeff, I mean, for me, it's really cool because I've gotten a chance to see these guys for the last couple of years. And, you know, I missed a lot of these guys in 2020 when they were first quote unquote coming up because right. so many of those guys were in Reading in 2019. Mm-hmm. So they would have been in Lehigh Valley in 2020. So, you know, guys like Alec Bohm, I didn't get a chance to really see as they were coming up. Uh, Alec came back to us for a little bit last year, but he wasn't there for that long. And, and the same thing could be said for Bryson Stott. Bryson Stott, although, you know, uh, 2021 was in Reading, he probably would have been in Lehigh Valley a little bit quicker had he had that 2020 season. So, you know, seeing guys like Derek and, and Mark Appel and Dalton Guthrie and Nick right. Maton and all these guys that have come up, it, it's really cool. And now you can throw Donnie Sands into that mix. I know he hasn't played that much, but sure. you know, these are all guys that I've gotten to watch compete in Lehigh Valley for the last year, and some, some of these guys two years. And, you know, I've gotten a chance to know them and, and they're really great guys. And, and credit to the Phils for bringing these guys up and putting them into position to succeed. I, I think that's the number one thing is that we've seen now what Stott, what Maton, you know, what Veerling, what all these guys can do when they're playing every single day. And, you know, and whether it's not getting it done with the bat, it's making a big play in the outfield. I mean, Veerling's obviously had a couple of huge hits, including the hater home run, but he's made some, you know, monumental plays in the outfield. So even yeah. if they're not necessarily getting it done one way, they're getting it done the other. Uh, you know, you think about what Nick Maton did last night. You know, Alcantara is one of the best pitchers on the planet and he throws that wicked 99 mile an hour sinker off Maton's front hip that freezes him in the at bat earlier. Mm-hmm. And then he gets the same pitch and he comes back and hits a go ahead homer. So, you know, these guys play with a looseness. They play with an energy that just can't be made up. It's all authentic. And I saw it in Lehigh Valley this whole year and, and now we're seeing it in Philadelphia and, and you pair that with what these veteran guys are doing. Uh, you know, you look at, you know, David Robertson's been around for 15 years, but you look at the energy and the emotion that he has, you have to imagine that some of that is because of what these younger guys are doing. It, it has to make these guys feel young again when they see how much fun uh, all these young guys are having. And then you think about a guy like Brandon Marsh that's been here for six weeks and look at the chemistry that he has with these guys. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's been really cool. Yeah, six weeks he was already joining in on some of that water bit with Brace and Scott right. I noticed the other day, right? So, <laughs> so, so you saw a lot of these players, uh, this year. You know, I certainly want to ask you about some of them, uh, because fans might not know a lot about them, but Dalton Guthrie was sort of a surprise. In fact, yeah. I think he's somebody that fits that mold you were just saying who lost the 2020 season and they almost fall off the radar in terms of being a prospect or somebody that could contribute. So, so tell us a little bit about him since he's the latest one up and in, in the outfield. Yeah, I mean, you know, the number one thing with Dalton is he has an attitude to the game that can only be instinctual. I mean, he is he's really a special person and a special player. And a lot of that, I'm sure, stems from the fact that he grew up in major league clubhouses. I mean, his father played almost two decades in the big leagues. Uh, so, I, you know, if you ask Dalton, he'll tell you that, you know, so many of his young memories in life, stem from, you know, chasing his dad around the clubhouse, whether that was his time with the Twins, with the Cubs, with the Mets, whoever it may be. 
you know, and Mark had a really, really good career as a, as a veteran guy. So I'm sure for Dalton, a lot of his attitude towards the game stunts from, you know, stems from that. And what I love about Dalton is he only has one gear. It, it's just full on, absolutely no holds back. I'm going to run through a wall to make this play. I'm going to go on a full-on sprint to beat this ball out. And and that's stuff that can't be taught. That's just either you have it or you don't. So, you know, what I love about Dalton is is that he has a great attitude. He has a great energy. And and we had him on, on the post-game interview the other day after he picked up his first major league hit. And he said, I'm just trying to respect the game. I'm just trying to go out there and and play the game the right way. Uh, and and I could see it in L.A.'s face when, when Dalton was talking about this, just how excited he was to hear – a young rookie talking like that. So, you know, fans can be excited about Dalton Guthrie because he's going to give you everything every single time. You know, what is his skill set going to be in the big leagues? It's too early to tell, but he has terrific bat-to-ball skills. He's a very good outfielder for somebody that's only been doing it for about a year and a half now, one full year uh, in you know, as a full-time outfielder. But he's going to play hard every single day. And as we know in Philadelphia, that's all people really care about is, you know, your stat line is what it is, but if you're going out there and you're trying your best, people are going to recognize that. And I, I think people are going to see that with Dalton Guthrie, is the fact that his jersey's always going to be dirty. He's got a little bit of pop, so, you know, he can he can leave the yard when he needs to, but more than anything, he's going to fly around the diamond, and he's going to look like he's having a lot of fun while doing it. You're giving me some uh, Aaron Rowan vibes right there for, for Dalton yeah. Guthrie, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And hey, that that was the start of uh, of a great sure. era in, in in Philly's history. There, uh, how about Derek Hall? I mean, when he came yeah. up when, in in compute, uh, what is he like, and and how has he kind of handled this season in your eyes? Yeah, um, hey, Der- Derek's a really he's a really special guy, uh, and you know he's somebody that I, I've I've gotten to know over the last two years now, and and I, I've been really fortunate to do so and, and get a chance to be with him every single day. He's one of those guys that no matter what, you're always going to root for. Because it's kind of similar to Dalton Guthrie. He, he lost that year and kind of got lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what he's done this year is, is pretty amazing. Uh, you know, even right now, he came back down. He was one for 40 when he came back. I mean, he got into a really tough slump, never hung his head, went out there every single day. Right. And once again, he, uh, he's hit three home runs in the last two days. So, he's probably hitting close to 400 over the last week now. And that's just because he's never once let anything affect him. And, you know, I talked to Derek the day he came back and I asked how he was doing. Cause you know, for these guys that have played every single day, it's not always easy to go into a big league role and, and not play. Uh, and he said, listen, at this point, he, th- he said, well, where we are right now compared to where we are last year, we're pretty blessed. And that's just the person that Derek is. And that's awesome. Nine home runs in the big leagues. And, you know, he came back down to the minors and, and just said, listen, I'm here. If you had told me I was going to be here at this point last year, I, I don't think he would have believed you. But he, it's just the, it's just the, it's a testament to the work that he put in and the adjustments that he made. You know, Derek's always been a big home run guy. I mean, he's hit 29 home runs before in his career. He's hit 26 once. Now he's got 25 this year, 34, if you include his his mm-hmm. nine home runs in the big leagues as well. But he's also hitting 250. And for a guy with that kind of power in this day and age, that's a really good average. And, you know, he's got 80 RBIs now. So he's a very solid first baseman, too. Everybody looks at his as his numbers in terms of a power hitter, but he can pick it over there. 
He's made one error this entire season in Lehigh Valley. And, hmm. you know, Anthony Contreras, who was the manager for the Pigs, has called Derek his Iron Man. I can honestly tell you, in the time that Derek Hall has been here, I can say off the top of my head he's missed one game for not being in the lineup. And he maybe has missed one or two other than that that I could be missing. But in the, you know, 80 to 90 games that he's played with the Iron Pigs this year, he's been in the lineup, I would say, 98% of the time. He just goes out there every single day days and competes. And I asked him about that. I said, you know, why don't you take days off? And he said, because it's my job to go out and play. And if I have the ability to go out and play, I'm going to go out and play. There's no reason for rest days because that's what Mondays are for. Because that's why we have universal off days for the <laughs> on Mondays. So, yeah, Derek just goes out. He plays every single day. And uh, he's got a great attitude. That smile that he has when he rounds third base every time he hits a home run, it's completely authentic. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta give a little bit of couple on that one because friend texted me last year and said, "Is this Derek Hall a prospect?" And I was like, "Uh, eh, not really." Then yeah. I saw him and I was down in spring training during the lockout and watching him take grounders at first base. And I thought, "Oh, poor guy!" Like I don't think he's going to end up going anywhere. Well, he proved me wrong, so I'm, 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 yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy for his sake because he persevered because he's kind of he got kind of old in terms of prospect status. And again, sure. somebody who missed 2020. Now, um, I want to ask you next about the catching. Uh, down at AAA because the Phillies yep. had two really solid catchers in Raphael Marchand and Donnie Sands down at AAA, which probably led them to trade Logan Ohapi. I don't know if they trade Logan Ohapi for Brandon Marsh if they don't feel like they have some catching help in the system. So what can you tell us about those two guys? Yeah, uh Donnie, one thing about him is he works really hard, and he'll be the first to tell you that he really struggled when he was a young prospect coming up with the Yankees organization. Uh, he, he joked with me one time. He said that I set the record for pass falls in the South Atlantic League by breaking, breaking Jorge Posada's record. So he said, so I finally got something on Jorge. Uh, and he, he said at one point, he goes, you know, a scout came to me and said, he goes, you might be the worst catching prospect defensively that I've seen. And, and, and Donnie never once ever hung his head. He just continued to work. He just kept on going. I love a little bit of self-deprecation from a guy that had, you know, when they kind of have like that awareness of, Hey, I needed to do something better. And he could have either either said, okay, no, send me back to the infield where I was when I was younger, but no, we continued to work. Uh, and, and that's really cool. So Donnie's one of those guys that I'm really going to root for because he's a gamer, he's a grinder and he has, he's got an edge to him. And I think every team needs a guy that has a little bit of an edge to them. Uh, you know, he plays with a fire and a passion that just can't be matched. So. You know, Donnie offensively, great hitter, tremendous on-base percentage. Derek Hall actually credited Donnie Sands for a lot of his success early on because he said Donnie was getting on base at a 400 clip ahead of him. So because of that, it opened up the shift. So, you know, Donnie, Donnie's a really, really good hitter. He's got tremendous back-to-ball skills. He goes the opposite way a lot. He's going to continue to work defensively, and that's going to come. But he's a tremendous hitter. So, you know, he fits a really good role for this Phil's team right now as a third catcher because they can then use his bat if they need to as a DH. He and Raphael were kind of splitting time. One would DH, one would catch every other day. So I like Donnie a lot. I love his intangibles, and I think he's just going to continue to get better defensively. He already has a really strong arm. So the fact that he got to where he was in low A to where he is now just shows that he's willing to work, and I think that's a really cool sign. Uh And then for Marshawn, it's just continued to get him to play every single day. I mean, defensively, he's he's the best there is, in my opinion, in terms of minor league defensive catchers. He's just – he's a wizard behind the dish. He, he's a hard worker. And, 
you're right. I think because Donnie and Marshawn both are such good catching prospects that they were able to move on for Logan O'Hoppy. And the fact that Garrett Stubbs has proven himself as a very serviceable, probably plus backup catcher, you don't need, you know, your top 100 catching prospects and you can go out and get a guy like Brandon Marsh. So Marshawn continues to work every single day. I, I think that there's going to be a spot for him eventually. He's a switch hitter. So as long as he continues to hit, the defense is there. Um, his footwork's great. You know, his pop time is in like the 99th percentile in terms of catching prospects, in terms of how fast he gets rid of the baseball. So, yeah, we've been really lucky that in Lehigh Valley, between Donnie and Raphael, we've had two really solid backstops. So, yeah, he needed to get out of those black and white pinstripes because, you know, you can't have another Donnie baseball. The, the shadow of being Donnie <laughs> yeah. in the Bronx, just especially with, when you're an offensive player like that. Um, Pat, everybody's very excited. Uh, about the future, uh, the arms, the young guns, the, the Nick Abels, of course, the, uh, the painters. Um, but Griff McGarry yep. probably will beat them to the, the big leagues. We'll see. Uh, what, what can we expect for him here? Yeah. So I, I've seen Griff throw live once now. He made his first appearance with us a couple of weeks, uh, last week. And right. I mean, it was a rocky one. He, he, he came out, he, he threw four pitches to get the first two outs. And I'm like, all right. This is it. I mean, we might not see him again. If this, is, <laughs> this is what it's going to be. Griff McGarry might make one or two appearances with us, and he's going to go to the big leagues. Uh, but he did struggled, and he started to overthrow a little bit, and, and he allowed a couple of runs after getting those two quick outs. But then he came back in the second inning, and he threw the ball much better. He allowed a home run to Bobby Dahlback, but Dahlback was a guy that was in the big leagues for the last three-plus seasons, and, and he threw a cement-mixing slider. And when you do that, the ball is going to go over the fence, and that just happens. But that's part of being a pitcher. You make mistakes like that. And I'll take a pitcher making a mistake like that versus, you know, overthrowing and, sure. and losing their command because everybody does that. Everyone, buddy has a slider that just spins and a guy hits it out of the ballpark. So mm-hmm. he came back. He had a really clean second inning. He threw the ball really well. So I thought that was a great adjustment by him that he walked a couple in the first inning, but then came back and outside of the solo homer had a pretty clean second inning. And then, he threw again on Sunday. He allowed a hit and uh, one walk, but also picked up a strikeout. I just think it's going to be an adjustment period for him as he makes this transition to the bullpen. We're seeing it with Eric Miller as well, who was a starting pitching prospect uh, in his time coming up, and now he's he's pitching at the bullpen, and he got off to a really rocky start, but he's starting to figure things out a little bit. I think for these young guys that have been starting pitchers their entire careers, the transition to the bullpen can just be a little bit difficult. It's a change in routine. It's a change in your approach, how you go after hitters. So I think Griff McGarry has really special stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if he throws either today or tomorrow for Lehigh Valley. And I still think that there's a chance that we see him in Philadelphia at some point this year. I, you know, we're getting close to the, you know, the end of the season. So, you know, the 40 man is kind of in a crunch right now in terms of spots available. But mm-hmm. if he throws the ball well and, and they end up needing an arm, he could be a guy that they go to. I would expect him at the very least, probably all three of them to be in big league camp next year. I don't, I don't see why they wouldn't be. And I, I would agree with you that McGarry is probably the first one up and I'm excited to watch him continue to mature as a pitcher. And, and, you know, when you have three top 100 prospect arms, if two of them are stud starters and one's a stud reliever, that's pretty good. Yeah. And if all three are stud starters, I mean, that's just house money at that point. Yeah. Uh, Either way, I, I think all three of these guys are special. Anybody else we're missing? I know you do on Sundays the the Phillies Radio Network the the minor league report. So yeah. who haven't we talked about that we need to know about? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, Johan Rojas to me is, I still think could be an everyday center fielder for this team. When I see 50 plus stolen bases from a guy, I, I, my, my, my eyes just open up to that could be an impact player. I don't know what kind of role that's going to be, but that's a weapon that, you know, I just don't think that you see anymore. Uh, and, you know, Justin Crawford, I think as the number one overall, you know, the first round pick this season, I think has kind of flown under the radar just because of how, you know, Painter and Abel and McGarry have kind of taken the world by storm. Uh, so I, I think Justin Crawford, I think, could be a really athletic center fielder for this team eventually. Um, I love that they pushed him up to low A to to finish off this season. That's something that we really hadn't seen from this Phillies organization over the last couple of years is is pushing prospects and sending them through. So right. we, it's a testament to these guys that they're continuing to perform. You know, the fact that Painter, Painter dominated three levels this season is is pretty amazing. Uh but it just shows the confidence that they have in him and they have in McAble and they have in Griff McGarry that they're able to do this. And, and one last name that I'll, I'll leave you guys with in terms of guys to watch out is how you leave. I, you know, they signed this kid out of Taiwan last year and, you know, Sal Augustinelli, who's the international scouting director was really high on him. He compared him to a young Jeff Kent when, uh, when they signed him. So, you know, the fact that he was in Clearwater and then up the Jersey shore, he got hit, hurt a little bit. But I, I think that this kid could be a really impressive guy. And, you know, he's only in his low mid twenties or early twenties. And I feel like, you know, the Phils have been searching for that big international free agent of the last couple of years to come up and make an impact at a young age. And, you know, maybe it, it takes going to Asia to go finding one. And, and, you know, Lee is a, is a kid that he has a, he has a little bit of an attitude. He's got some swagger to him. You know, he had his first high A home run and, and had this massive bat flip. And, you know, you, you need a little bit of flair every once in a while. You need a little bit of fight from some of these guys. So, yeah, how how you lose another one, I, I could see, you know, he's probably still a year or two away, but we could see him in Reading by the end of next season. And then who knows from there? I'll tell you, when I was in spring training during the lockout and watching some of these young guys, the Taiwanese media was all over him. So they <laughs> clearly he's a, he's a big deal uh, in yeah. Taiwan. So, We'll By the way, was that a, did you say a young Jeff Kent? Is that what yeah. I heard you say? Yeah. <laughs> that is an, that is an awesome just pull from the past type of comparison. I love that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I heard that last year, I was like, man, I think anybody will take a young Jeff Kent as, uh, as yeah. his future second yeah. baseman. He, for the he definitely had some, some swagger to him, Jeff Kent. Maybe a little too much, but he had some swagger to him. Yeah. <laughs> well, we thank you, Pat, for spending some time with us. And, uh, so we'll hear you again next weekend in Atlanta. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, Saturday and Sunday down in Atlanta. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you. Great to have you. And we'll catch you again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Pat. So kind of Pat to join us for a few moments. And and Jeff, before we before we close, we we have to talk about Edmundo Sosa. What a pickup this has been. You know, I re- I remember reading when the Cardinals were going to have a roster crunch. I forget who it was reported that the Cardinals might trade one of Sosa or I can't remember who the other. The other name was, and I was a little surprised, and I was extra surprised that the Phillies were the ones to acquire him. I didn't think they'd be in the market for a middle infielder at that point, but Jeff, he's been something. Yeah, especially a middle infielder not really known for hitting, but he's he like almost every single St. Louis Cardinals farmhand infielder or somebody comes up through that chain, he's excellent at defense, and that's what you were expecting, and yet he's been hitting like Sammy Sosa. For the, for the last two weeks, 
it sort of reminds me, Frank, of it's not apples to apples here, but you remember I think it was two years ago when they got Corey Dickerson at the deadline mm-hmm. and he came here and all he did was hit, 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 hit to the point where fans were like, all right, we got McCutcheon and left for a couple more years. We got Harper and right. There's no DH. I don't know. I don't know where to play this guy, but you feel like you have to bring him back because he's just hit, hit, hitting. But I mean, obviously the, the people who long-term baseballists would know, like, that's not going to last. He's just on a great wave. And I don't know if Edmundo Sosa is going to hit the ball like this. Certainly not batting over 500 for the next two or three weeks and then next year. But look, we know that the, the face of the Phillies infield might look a little bit different going forward next year with what happens with Segura and of course with, um, you know, Reese Hoskins, who I still think you just never know what, if he's going to be the long term first baseman. Are they going to move somebody over? I, I you know, I'm stop. Bryson Stott has played well, but, um, there, there'll probably be some kind of, opportunities for Sosa if he can continue to at least hit. He ain't going to hit like this, but, I mean, just be average. But we know his glove is good. It was such a a sneaky good pickup, Frank, but nobody really thought it was going to be a sneaky good pickup for the offense that he's been supplying. Yeah, so he damn near carried them at some point for some 23 games games at this point and 54 plate appearances. So he's walked five times, but he's batting 347, no PS over one, Mm -hmm. and – Home runs. He's hit a couple home runs and, and, uh, seven doubles. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, granted, small sample size, but I mean, l- looking at his career, he has not been this good. Right. Right. So, so I got to ask the question then. Go ahead. So like, I, I tweeted this the other day and, and I got a little pushback, but I was, uh, but I, I said, you know, Gene Segura is a free agent. Mm-hmm. Might you feel comfortable with Sosa and Maton? Covering second base at least to start next year, or or do you want them in that backup infield or reserve role? Well, I mean, sort of. Well, what's my alternative? Does Trey Turner really want to come here? Because <laughs> if Trey Turner wants to play for the Phillies, it's kind of hard to say no. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard to say no. I really like this uh, platoon of Nick Maton and Edmundo Sosa. But um, obviously, if you don't get the big time guy or or, or if you feel like you need a big time guy somewhere else and you can live with that second base platoon, I feel comfortable about it only. And, and I'm probably sort of, I wouldn't have been in the past, but I'm sort of biased now by what we've seen this year about when you give some kids some opportunities and you have good enough players around them that you can survive when Sosa goes reverts back to normal. Like in the past, they, they needed Torres last year, right. To play like, the Torres for that Torres, one month where he was on, but what's that? Torres, you mean? I'm sorry, Torres. Yeah, Ronald Torres, right? He, we knew that there were this, the, the, the chariot was going to turn back into a pumpkin at some point and he was going <laughs> to go back to being, uh, Torres. But that's, but they needed that from him when he was hitting well. Like at this point, you've built the roster up enough and the team enough that you can survive when a guy kind of reverts back to what he normally is, regresses to the mean. But the, the glove should be great. Always, and that that's big. We know the Phillies have kind of struggled defensively at times, and they need guys like Sosa. Well, there was a rumor a few days ago that the Phillies would target Xander Bogarts also in free agency. So, oh, so we'll okay. see. Obviously, you want the big name. Uh, Phillies have some money coming off the books, so we'll, we'll see where they spend it. But, but Jeff, what a what an action packed show for today. Uh, the Phillies look good, and they probably have good things ahead. I would think so, Frank. I think the next time we do our podcast, we're going to be pretty happy with what the, uh, the results.
Well, for now, thanks to Pat McCarthy, Frank Close, Jeff Mosher. This has been the Powder Blue Podcast. We will catch you next time.